Welcome to Dare a New Belief, a place to discover what is possible for your life after the loss of a loved one, and where you will find inspiration, insight, support, and love, and hopefully a bit of laughter to help you through the day. Now here's your host, Nada Hogan. Hello and welcome to Dare a New Belief. Today on the show, we have Jesse Harless with us. And Jesse is going to tell us a little bit about himself, but he's got this fabulous story that I know you are all going to enjoy and be enthralled with the same way I was when I first heard Jesse's story. And he has a website and a, I'm going to say a facilitation around this, Jesse, and then you straighten me out on my language here, called Entrepreneurs in Recovery. So if you can go ahead and just take the lead here, Jesse, and tell us a little bit about you and how Entrepreneurs in Recovery came about. Yeah, thank you, Nada, for having me on your show. And um, yeah, so Entrepreneurs in Recovery is my business um, that I started in 2017. And the, the mission of Entrepreneurs in Recovery is to elevate the lives of people in recovery who might be lost, stuck, or lack direction to gain clarity in order to live a life on purpose. So that's the mission behind it. And how does that happen? Well, one of the ways the original vision was to do coaching, right? So I would coach people one-on-one. And then also what I wanted to do is find a way to take people through a process of not just one-on-one, but how do you take a whole group through a transformational process of elevating their life and helping them connect to purpose and passion and strengths and goals. And then that became the future of where Entrepreneurs Recovery is now is a facilitation process that I had helped to create where I take people through this process um, in one hour going through um, their, their strengths, their passion, and then creating an action plan on that. And I do this at uh, treatment centers, addiction treatment centers. I do this with entrepreneurs who are in recovery, and I've done this in communities as well. Okay, awesome. Awesome. So Jesse, can you tell us how it is that you came about doing any of the work in recovery? Yeah. So my story began really at 22 years old. It started before that, of course, but it started at 22 when I was facing federal felonies for my addiction to prescription opioids. You know, um, I had had an addiction to cocaine and heroin and alcohol, but eventually it got to a place where I found a way to order prescription pills. That cost me freedom nearly. I ended up getting federal felonies because of ordering prescription pills that I was taking. And that brought my addiction to a, a huge interruption. It was a big shocker to me and to my family. Um, it saved my life. Thank God it happened because because of that, 22 years old, you know, I've been using drugs and alcohol um, in, a, in a way that was very progressive for about three, four years prior to that. So at 22, I was facing these charges and I had to really, I had to change everything. And, and that's kind of where the, the journey began is at 22, I found my version of recovery. What that looked like was I found a mentor. I found a therapist that was paid for by the court. And I also found self-help groups. And that was the beginning of the journey. From there, I started adding new habits like reading inspirational books and turning them into positive affirmations because I had serious panic attacks and anxiety for a long time, especially in the first few months of my recovery from drug and alcohol addiction. And I kind of started there. Wow. Wow. So I have so many questions just from that. So 
with the panic attacks, did you have the panic attacks prior to the addiction or did those come after the addiction when you were in recovery? Yeah, that's a great question. So I had social anxiety that was definitely diagnosable at a young age, starting at about 12. It was pretty crippling, even at that early age. And I coped with other addictive behaviors. I actually had coped with isolation. I coped with online games and I coped with internet pornography. That's actually how I cope with my anxiety and the way I felt. And, um, and so that behavior of avoiding this anxiety and, and even trauma and pain didn't serve me too well. And that only increased the anxiety and the panic attacks really didn't start until I would say, this is, I don't think anyone's ever asked me that. I mean, the, the actual panic attacks, so the anxiety has been there since I was a child. The panic attacks are different. And those, those actually started happening my first year of addiction recovery. And they were no joke. I mean, to be facing the pressure that I faced with the felonies and the time over my head, which was approximately seven years, and having my single mom, you know, my mother who is, you know, on her own and, and really the pressure and stress that I put her under and just all the stuff that was happening and the fear of being sober, right? Like, I don't know how to live sober, like mm -hmm. fear of being sober, fear of being a felon, fear of how to, you know, cope. And I think maybe the stress was so great that it caused some mental illness and panic attacks. And I literally would be standing, like I'd just be standing let's say uh, at my job, because I end up getting my job back somehow. And I'd be in there and, and a customer would walk in and all of a sudden I would literally have this panic attack happen and I would blank out. Like I'd have like a blackness and I'd like blank out and then I'd be sweating for a few, like my hands, my palms would be soaked in sweat. I'd actually go into the bathroom and just like would get on my knees and pray. Like, I don't know what, why is this happening? I, I thought I was dying actually. Wow. They continued happening that, they happened for years and years after that, but that first year was really crippling. But like I said, I probably should have had uh, more attention to it maybe <laughs> with a professional, but I, I just started to read inspirational books and create my own positive affirmations to try to combat them. I'd actually, people thought I was probably crazy. I would say affirmations out loud, you know, to try to combat my social anxiety, but my actual, um, or my panic attacks, but the panic attacks really, um, I've never been asked that. It started at 22. Yeah. Wow. Wow. So how was that? Whatever the job was that you had, you were working with customers or at least people you had to deal with face to face. So how did that go over if you were having a panic attack when you started talking to somebody? I mean, was that threatening for that person? Was the person that witnessed the beginning of that panic attack before you had to leave and go to the bathroom and pray and come back? Was it this person wait for you? Did you feel like you were being judged or... No, I would just, you know, I actually think when, you know, looks are deceiving, you know, you don't know what's going on in someone's internal world, the battles they're facing. I'm pretty sure when people looked at me, they had no idea that this was happening. They probably couldn't even tell because how I knew that is it would happen so often that I actually experienced it. And then I would like look for like this reaction from them. Like, I'm like, oh my God, they must think that I'm serious. I got serious problems. Something's happening. And I look and, and they just continue talking about something else. And I'd be like... <laughs> how didn't they see what just happened? And, and I started to realize like, wow, like I started to also at 22 to correlate that the inside, you know, people have no idea and I have no idea what's going on in someone's world. Like we can't tell by the outside. We dress it up. We cannot tell. And I started to really learn that connection. Like, wow, you know, judge no one because you never know the battles they're fighting. 
Yeah. Yeah. Do you think that that ultimately helped you in your recovery when we get to learn? Because I think that's what a lot of us do is we stay in judgment of other people for, you know, do I fit in? Am I good enough? Is that person better than me? Am I better than them? Do you think that the whole piece of recognizing that judgment when you learned don't be judging anybody because I'm experiencing myself. Nobody ever knows what's really going on inside of me. Do you think that letting go of that helped you on your road to recovery? I think that it helped to be more compassionate with myself and with others to realize like, if I can be sober, like nothing in my system and still experience this much torment, this much going on of panic attacks and anxiety and stress, that other people face this every single day. Every day someone's facing it. Like, like imagine me, I, I think of myself back at 22 and someone like meeting me and not knowing what was going on. No one knew what was going on except my family and the people closest to me. You know, like how many people are facing that battle that we walk by at the supermarket, that we, yeah. that we see walking on the sidewalk or driving our cars? Like how many people are actually facing that battle and we just have no idea? We just, you know, so I think for me, it's compassion, both self-compassion and both compassion for the people around me. And that's really an important element of, of recovery is helping others, you know, and, and being compassionate. So it's definitely a good framework for the beginning of my recovery journey. Yeah. Yeah. What a beautiful blessing to come out of that, right? Just the whole compassion part and, and knowing everybody has, everybody's on a path and none of us are doing this um, without some kind of, some kind of upset or, or upheaval inside of us. And when we can just learn that, you know, everybody has their own troubles that they're trying to get through and, and just the whole compassion. It's amazing how the world can change. And I truly believe in world peace. And I think that that's a big part of it when we can be compassionate to our fellow man. So I know that you read a lot and you did a lot of affirmations and that was very helpful to help you with the panic attacks because I've never had um, a drug addiction. It makes me wonder how hard it was to not turn back and resort to drugs to tap down those panic attacks. Was that always sitting on the brink or was that just the furthest thing from my mind because I have the seven years hanging over my head and you know, I know how my mom is feeling right now. Yeah, I mean, I think really what happened was the combination of the pressure of the time hanging over my head, but also the fact that I knew the gig was up. I like awoken from a sleep. And like I'd been in a sleep for four years, from 18 to 22 with the, with the drug addiction and alcohol addiction I had. And I was a functioning, what you would call a functioning person who's using drugs and alcohol, where I would actually hold a job. You wouldn't really know. I'd hold a job till I lose it. And then I wouldn't tell you the real reason I lost it, but you just didn't really know. And so that was kind of scary, you know, to be doing and consuming what I was doing and not people have no idea what I'm going through and just being functioning in some ways until at 22, it all came crumbling down, you know, to have that time hanging over my head and also like this I had this realization that like I had been asleep for four years, like I'd been so stuck in that addiction that I had no idea how far it had taken me down the hole and how all I could do is rebuild. All I had to do is change everything but my name, right? I had to change everything. And I could just see my life. Like I could see what my life was up to that point. And I could see that if I was going to change my future, it would start right now. So I started to really 
to read books, to journal every day, to write gratitude every day, to attend self-help groups, to talk to my mentor weekly, to wake up earlier, to start to drink more water, to start to exercise. I mean, I turned it on. I went all in, you could say, on my recovery the best, with the best I knew how, with the resources I had at my disposal, where I was for my mental capacity. I did everything I could to make sure that happened. And the result was that I did stay. I stayed sober for that first year of them trying to find how much time they were going to put me away for. And because I did the next right thing every single day, and because I was, you know, doing these habits and doing the next right thing, like I ended up not going to prison. I ended up taking my felonies and doing probation and not going to prison, which is, you know, that's not the case for everyone. And sometimes it's not a bad thing to get that time away. But for me, it's not what happened. And I just never stopped. I learned early on that power of habits, you know, change your habits, change your life, right? So change your habits. So I started to change my habits and I correlated a lot of what was happening in the beginning to the change in my daily behaviors. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. This is, oh my God, I have so many questions. So can you tell us, I know you were reading inspirational books. What were some of those inspirational books that you were reading that were so powerful? Because you really didn't have, at least I don't remember hearing you say counseling. I know you had a mentor and you weren't in a recovery program, like that strictly just working with recovery or like a mental health therapist for recovery. Were you doing that? Because it sounds like you did a lot of this on your own, that you just paved your path. There wasn't like drug court. I didn't do that. I didn't have, um, a tra- I didn't go to addiction treatment center. That's not what the judge said. The judge said, you're basically going to work full time and go to the self-help groups. So I had wow. like, a, and, and, and I did just to be clear, I did have a, a therapist that they paid for the court. What a blessing, right? I didn't have the money. The court paid for, for me to see a counselor. So I did get to see a counselor and, um, uh, you know, bless her heart, thank God for this woman who wasn't even someone, this is a lesson for all the listeners. This woman was not even someone who struggled with addiction and she was helping me. So it just goes to show you, you don't even necessarily have to be someone who has struggled with addiction to help someone who has this this issue with addiction. And she helped me so much. And we'd stayed friends. I saw her right up until like a, a year ago, you know? So we'd stayed friends. It's been 13 years. You know, that first year was so critical seeing Bonnie, her name is Bonnie, to see Bonnie and, and then to go to my, you know, my, my self-help groups and then talk to my mentor every week and then attend. I had another group. I got up at 6.30 every Wednesday morning and I would attend this men's group. And these men would literally surround me because I didn't, my father left at five and never returned. So I had these men who I didn't have relationship with men. And I had these men at Wednesday morning at 630 that would surround me and just, and just literally they would just pray for me. They would just be like, you know, because I was supposed to do the time. So they would just, you know, be there and be comforting. So I started to change my paradigm, right? I started to change my paradigm about, about having a relationship with an older man because there was no father figure. And so all these things started, it was, it was almost overwhelming, you know, all the things that happened in that first year. Yeah. Wow. Wow. I know I didn't know about you not having a father figure when you were growing up. So, and you said your, your mom was raising you alone, but did you have siblings also? Yeah. So my brother, I had two brothers, but one brother, I mean, they're older, eight and 12 years older. So my oldest brother had moved out by the time we had, uh, you know, after my father left, we kind of bounced around and I had a, a middle brother, the eight, you know, the one that's eight years older than me. He actually became that like father figure. You know, he would help me with, you know, like when I played sports, 
early, you know, nine years old, 10 years old, he would actually help, you know, he'd pay for like, you know, maybe a baseball bat or football. And, and so he became that person to try to fill the role. But your brother who's eight years older than you can't be your father, right? Can't right. be your father figure. You know, he can only, you know, so he's still a young kid himself. So, you know, he tried to fill that role and, and I'm forever grateful for that. But that was it. You know, there, it was my mom raising three boys on her own and, and uh, no other figure really came in the, the scene. That was it. You know, she never remarried or found someone else. So, you know, we, um, you know, we made it and she, she did her best. And actually today is my mom's 67th birthday. So happy birthday, mom. Oh, and, uh, happy birthday, mom. Yeah. And every year I give her my medallion. So I just, last time we ate, I celebrated 13 years of long-term recovery from addiction, from drugs and alcohol. And I, gi- I give her my medallion every single time I receive it. So I got a 13 year medallion. I give it to my mom. You know, she deserves it. She's the reason I'm here. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. That is so great. And how is she doing as a mom? I know how scary it is when your kids start going down a path that you can see that is nothing but destruction. So how, how did she cope through all of this? For those four years, was she aware that you were struggling with this addiction? No. Um, no, the first year I went away to college. So when I went to college at 18, I went away, it was the first time away from home and my addiction was, it started to become off the crazy, but I hit it and I failed all my classes. So I didn't hide it too well, but they let me back a second semester. So that first semester I would just lie, right? When, I, when you're in addiction, you will do anything to protect your addiction. You will lie, you cheat, you'll manipulate yeah. you know, to protect your addiction. So I just told her like, oh, that first semester was a lot of pressure on me. And they call it, the college somehow let me back a second semester with like a 0.6 GPA. Wow. And I came back a second semester, nothing changed. Like I was still drinking, I was still getting high and, and then I flunked out of school. So the first year she didn't really know, she just thought it was a lot of pressure, it was maybe too much. So I flunked out of school and now I'm 19 and then I'm back and I'm hiding it from her. And then eventually at 20, my father passed away. And as soon as he passed away, that just that's when it unlocked the trauma that I had never healed from him abandoning me at five years old. It, like that lie that I told myself, the toxic shame of like, I'm not lovable was, was still there at 20 when he died. It just triggered it. Even though we had no relationship, wasn't even talking to him when he passed away. Like I went off the rail and that's when I got into serious hard drugs like cocaine and heroin. Oh man. Wow. Is it hard to talk about now? I know that you facilitate groups and you do a lot with recovery, but is it hard to talk about now or or have you come to terms with it and, and it's you're far enough removed and have educated yourself enough and you have enough soul searching that it's not as difficult or no? Yeah, I've done a lot of work on myself. I love talking about this actually. If it serves someone else, I love talking about it. And yeah. by talking about trauma that's happened in a person's life, because a lot of this is is just pain, right? Addiction, yeah. a lot of it comes from pain, trauma. And especially when we're young. And so we bottle up the trauma and pain and we, we mask it with addiction until we, we might pick up an addiction like a drug addiction. And then this, you can't mask it very long. And I, you know, so I'm, I'm totally good with talking about this and, you know, I've come a long way with it. Yeah. Wow. Cause I, it's just, I can feel the pain that if I was to imagine what it would be like to have that father that leaves you when you're five years old and now you're 20 years old and your father passes away and now it's just bringing up all of this other stuff that, you know, it's just like you get so blindsided by it that you can't even 
see straight. There's like nothing makes any sense and then numb it all out so I don't have to feel anything. Yeah, it was a definitely a big blindside for sure. And it was a blindside because I didn't even have a relationship with him. So it was baffling right. that it would even affect me. That's what was so um, interesting about it. And so, yeah, it, it definitely took me to, down a, a huge spiral. I did things I never, I crossed, I would cross a line in the sand and jump over at 10 feet. You know, yeah. after he died, I, I did things that I never, never imagined I would ever do. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Just amazing how we bury stuff and we don't even know that it's buried in there. And I think we all do this as a um, survival mechanism just to push stuff down so, and I can make up whatever story I need to make up in my head. But for the most part, it seems like people that are working on themselves and really trying to do their own evolution of their own consciousness, that stuff has to come back up to the surface so we can release it and repattern it. And it's, it's a painful journey. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Wow. Wow. So your mom now is, oh, I, I never did get that answer. I'm sorry. How, so how was your mom? She had to have found out somewhere in those four years that, that you had an oh, addiction. Yes, yeah. So um, she actually didn't know until she had a suspicion, but it wasn't very clear. And so I was really able to hide it. I hid it the whole time, really, because I, I, I left too. I moved to Florida. So, you know, the first year I was away. The second year I was around, but I hid it. And then I moved to Florida. <laughs> so okay. I got to hide that in Florida. I basically escaped to Florida. I tried to do the geographical cure you know, like, oh, if I move to Florida, that will, that will heal my addiction. That's like right. the worst place you could ever go in 2005. It's like a pill farm, pill city, pill capital. And I went down there and I just got more of what I wanted. And, you know, I left New Hampshire and I showed up to Florida with the same person and, and I was still uh, in trouble. So yeah, I went to Florida and I really saw what addiction could be like and how far I could take it. And, um, and I hit a really hard bottom near-death experience in Florida. And this is now the second time. And I came home from Florida. And that's when everything changed. So I'm 22. I come back from Florida. And that's when I, I wasn't actually going to admit that I had a problem to my mom. I just told my brother, I said, I have a problem with cocaine. And um, don't tell mom. And, and we'll, we'll figure everything out. And he had no idea the extent of how bad my addiction was, of course. And so luckily, two weeks later, coming back from Florida, I get a call that, uh, I got federal agents looking to arrest me, so. Oh, God. I can't even imagine what that phone call had to have felt like. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that's a day I can ever forget. Uh, oh. Yeah. Um, I remember as clear as day, I was walking out. I had just, I went back to, so I came back to New Hampshire. And now you got to understand, like, I was just on a tear, a tear of drug addiction. Like, I, a serious, serious drug addiction. And now I'm back like, oh, I'll just figure everything out. Like, no, I didn't ask for help. I didn't tell anyone the full story. And now I'm back like, oh, I'm just going to go on with my life after having this massive addiction here. And what happened is I went back to my old employer and I got my job back and I was walking out. I just got my job back and I'm walking out and I get a phone call. It's my roommate in Florida. And and uh, he said, hey, there's these agents here looking for you. Like, I don't know what they're here for, and, and I'm scared, and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, uh, I don't know why they're there. And, and, and I hung up the phone, and then I get another call from a restricted number, and I knew that wasn't going to be good, and, and that's it. It was the agent, and they said, don't go anywhere. We got a warrant for your arrest. We're coming to get you. And, you know, they let me come home, and 
they let me spend the time with my family to break the news. Um, they didn't come arrest me immediately. So I, I had that time. Uh, they figured I probably wouldn't run. And so I spent that, it was December 22nd, 2005. And I spent that uh, night before with my family and had to break the news that I don't know what's going to happen to me, but I'm probably going away for a while. And uh, yeah, December 22nd, I was arraigned in Concord Federal Court. And um, yeah, I remember the day vividly. My, fa- my mother was, my mother and my um, family were on the right to me. I, they shackled me at my ankles. They shackled me at my wrist. I walk oh, into the God. court and my family's to the right and they're bawling their eyes out because they had just got news that I was going to be definitely doing time. And um, I had a court appointed lawyer. I met my lawyer five minutes before I went into the biggest court case of my life. And it was scary. So panic attacks and stress and the things I was facing were probably pretty obviously going to happen in some ways um, after that, that court date. Oh, my God, man. Oh, I'm telling you, Jesse. So how was it that the federals were even looking for you? What, what was the, the story that they were looking for you to charge you? Yeah. So just, uh, essentially what, this is a lesson too, if anyone's, you know, listening and they're struggling with addiction and they're thinking of doing this. And I mean, this was in 2000, you know, fourth, 2003, 2004, 2005, but you know, I found a way. So there's kind of a big backstory, but I'll make it as short as possible. When I was, when I, when my father passed away, I got into some sketchy places. I mean, I was doing heroin and cocaine and all these things. And something happened, this person was arrested. And I bet I eventually came back to where my mom was living. And now I had just went from, you know, doing heavy, heavy drugs to now like, how am I going to like cope with my life? And I started to search online, like, how could I find pills? Like, how could I just get pills from this online world? And I found a way to get pills from an online place. And they would deliver deliver them wherever I wanted. And that's the, the long story short is I started ordering online and, and they would be delivered and I picked them up and, and this worked for months and months and months, hundreds and hundreds of you know, pills. And, and what happened was eventually the pills, <laughs> they went to the wrong place. They went to the place I didn't want them to go, which was a post office. And, uh, and I went there and, and ironically enough, my father worked at a post office. So uh-huh. some ways he's probably responsible for saving my life, even though he was passed away at that point um, because the package went to the post office and I went and picked it up and bam, I got arrested. And, and, and ironically enough, they let me go. And that's when I escaped to Florida. And then when I came back, that's 10 months later, I got the call that they were coming back for me. Wow. Wow. Oh God. So do you feel like, cause I love this part that you just said that ironically, it feels like my dad like kind of stepped in there and saved my life. Do you, do you believe that on a soul level that, you know, even though your dad did what he did by walking out on you when you were five years old, and now you're in a place where you're going down, you're losing and you're losing fast. And now that's another question. How could the pills even get sent to a post office instead of getting sent to your house? And do you really believe that your dad had a hand in that? Because I totally believe in that kind of stuff. I do today. Um, I would. Uh, this is a recent. This is a recent like thought I had. A, d- a recent download, if you will, about this idea because it didn't make any sense, and I've been trying to process it for over a decade, right? And 
And it just came to me recently that, you know, maybe there was some type of intervention because he wasn't there, right? He was gone at five. He's now, he died of alcoholism. His death certificate says cause of death, alcoholism. That's what it says on a death certificate. So he was someone who struggled with this illness. And I don't, I only understand now on the flip side that like he was suffering and I, you know, think that the way to maybe help me is maybe somehow he made that happen. It might sound really crazy. I, I maybe I'm crazy, but it, on some level, it's like he wasn't there to help and assist from five on. But maybe at 22, you know, maybe that was his shot to um, have this package go to to a post office, which is like to me seemingly impossible, and um, and for me to be arrested. Yeah. God, I don't think it's crazy at all. I think that's exactly how this universe works. I think it's just divinely orchestrated. And it doesn't matter if your physical body is here or not, because ultimately I believe we are all energy and we're just these spiritual beings having this human experience. I just find that so fascinating. And you said that that is just now coming to you, that realization that maybe my dad had a hand in this for my recovery. Am I right in that? Yeah, it just came to me. There was the last, whenever the last full moon was, really. I remember <laughs> vividly that it was that, that day. And uh, I'm actually writing a new book. And the book has to do with my story and, and a process to come out to, to thrive in recovery. Because it's not about getting into recovery and being sober. That's not what this is about. This is about thriving in recovery. Yeah. How do you do that? That's what keeps you alive. That's what keeps you wanting to not pick up and use a drug or use a substance or use a behavior is that purpose. So um, I was actually going to add a piece to my book and the piece of the book I was adding was about my father. And as I added the piece to the book, I remember vividly, you know, I looked up and I saw, you know, I knew it was a full moon. I looked up, I saw the clock and I looked and I was like, bam, this, this clear thought came into my head that maybe, maybe my dad had the connections because he used to work at the post office that somehow he got, had his hand in getting me arrested at a post office, which saved my life period, you know? Yeah. Wow. I totally love that. Have you ever heard Wayne Dyer's story with his dad? I heard a little bit about it. I heard a little bit about the story about him visiting his dad's grave. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, that's a powerful, well, powerful story. Yeah, that, that's exactly how it makes me think about this story with your dad because he was also left and he literally went to his grave to, um, the way Dane, Wayne Dyer says it, is to piss on his grave. He literally just wanted to piss yeah. on him. You know, but it was all of these signs that happened as he was getting to the cemetery and he said that it literally healed him, that it was, he no longer was angry at his father, that there was all of this stuff that led up to that. And I just, I had no idea we were going down this path and I just wish I could reach through this and energetically just give you the biggest hug because I find it just phenomenal that that happened with you. Oh my God. Wow. Wow. So, so I'm going to switch back to your mom. Apparently, I'm, I'm hooked up on your mom here, Jesse. So, <laughs> well, it is her birthday. so you, That's right. Yes. And happy birthday, mom. So, And she's doing good now, right? I mean, it sounds like you're yeah. doing so well. So there's just, 
I mean, yeah. such blessings that came out of all of this stuff that is so scary and dark and, um, yeah, it's just, so she's got to be just so proud of you and, um, just in love with you and your life and, and how you've turned things around and have been able to help so many other people. And that's phenomenal that you were sharing that gift of your, not just the recovery, but the thriving. Yeah. Yeah. And having that purpose. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Because I know that you have a gift for the audience, a free gift for the audience. And I would like for you to speak about that a little bit and a little bit about the um, facilitation and the work that you do, because there's no doubt that this is landing on ears of somebody who really needs to hear this. And I mean, you're just such a down to earth, totally cool guy that it's, you know, it's not, you're not stuffy. You're not pretentious. It's not, Oh God, I couldn't even go and do any of this stuff that he does. You're just real. You're just this real human who went through painful stuff and turned this whole thing around and thriving in your own life and being able to share that with others. So if you can share all of that, sorry, that was a mouthful. But if you can share all of that so somebody listening can hear this and say, oh my God, I need to get in touch with Jesse or I need to get his free gift or I need to get his book yeah. that will be coming out, if you can help us with that. Yeah. I mean, I'll just start with, I did my first book was released on 11-11-2018. I've released it recently. And that book is called Smash Your Comfort Zone with Cold Showers. It's how to boost your energy, defeat your anxiety and overcome unwanted habits. And that book, um, I wrote that book because three years ago, a friend of mine came into my house and he said, uh, out of the blue, he said, and he knew I struggled with social anxiety a bit. And he said, you need to take cold showers for 30 days. And I said, no way, not going to happen. Like, why would I ever do that? I live in New Hampshire. It's December. That's not happening. It's 38 <laughs> degrees out. And he was like, well, you should and Google it and find out why. And I was like, not going to happen. And my roommate at the time, he actually ran upstairs and took a straight cold shower right oh. after my friend said it. And I was like, what the <laughs> heck? So I took my first cold shower right after that as well. And what happened was that night I went to a meeting and I always got social anxiety at this meeting. And I sat in that meeting. I had nothing was happening. And I'm like, what is going on? Like, why don't I have like, what did I, did I eat something different? Did I drink? What? All I did was take that cold shower. Yeah. And so what I did is I said, well, if this is going to help with social anxiety, I'm all in. So I gave it 30 days of cold showers. And I'll tell you, at the end of the 30 days, not only did my social anxiety nearly vanish, I was way more confident. I felt the best I had felt in a really long time. And I just said, I'm going to keep doing this. And now it's been three years and now there's a book. And now uh, you can learn about my story of how it helped me overcome my social anxiety. It's a very short book but I give away a gift, which is the 30 day cold shower journal. So if you're going to take the challenge like I did, then uh, I give away the cold shower journal, which is um, jesseharless.com slash free gift. You can go and grab the journal, but grab the book first. I mean, you, you, to jump into 30 day cold showers, you're like, why would I do that? Like what I said, get the book and read it and then you'll understand why. Right, right. And is there any kind of, I mean, is, is this like an old ritual, like thousands of years ago? that the cold showers and do you know biologically what happens what is going on with the body when you're taking a cold shower because everything about that is just like my body wants to just put the brakes on right because i'm looking at snow outside going there's no way i could take a cold shower but i am so intrigued by this that i really do want to 
try it and give it a shot. But do you know the physiological factors that are happening when you, as a result of taking the cold showers? Well, yeah, I mean, there's research done. I mean, obviously it's a limited research, right? Like big pharma is not going to support something that's free. So uh, cold showers has to be studied by, you know, grassroots movement. But there was a guy, Dr. Nikolai Shevchuk, who had a, a, came out with a study about how cold showers actually stimulates the sympathetic nervous system. And so, you know, there's, there's something that happens with cold water and, you know, he says that, um, just looking at what it says in my book, it says whole body exposure to cold has been shown to activate the sympathetic nervous system, which is responsible for priming the body for action. And so essentially what happens is there's like a beta endorphin release. There's something happening in, with the brain chemicals and there's vasoconstriction and the blood's rushing to the vital organs. And what that's doing is boosting your metabolism. But he also says, mentions that it's something with the brain chemistry too that can help reduce depression. And that's in my book as well. I only put the stuff in my book that I had personally experienced. So some of the things you'll see in my book is like increasing energy, which is in other books too. Like there's other books that talk about cold showers increasing energy, but you know, improving your mood and boosting your sympathetic nervous system and muscle soreness and better skin and even even which is controversial, weight loss, you know, because of brown fat and how it produces more brown fat. But I, I did my research before I released a book about cold showers. Like it or not, they've, they've changed my life. I've taken them straight for three years and there's definitely some backing behind it. And there's some, you know, some journal articles. I put all the resources in my book that I found that were relevant. There's like a hundred or, or maybe even 200, but I put about maybe 20 in my book, 25. And I had interviewed these people. So I actually interviewed uh, some of these people and uh, to learn why they we're taking showers for the last 30 years, cold showers. And, and like you said, you know, has it been around for a thousand years? Yeah. You know, the Japanese mountain monks, Masogi practice, you know, they stand under waterfalls that are 45 degrees, you know, and they do this for spiritual cleansing. And yeah, I mean, there's a whole bunch of stuff. It's, it's kind of fascinating, but all I know is it works. It makes me feel good. And I do it. Yeah. <laughs> and I can't believe you're still doing it consistently for three solid years. Yeah. You haven't taken one warm shower? No, I take them straight cold. But, you know, I, like I say in the book, you don't have to take a straight cold shower. For me, I need to take a straight cold shower. Just this is what I need. Just yeah. like Tony Robbins every morning, he jumps into like a 57 degree pool. Like that's what he needs. But what I need is the cold shower. And so other people can take a normal warm shower and then end the shower 30 seconds cold. And I bet you when people hear that, they go, oh, I've been doing that. Well, there you go. There's benefits to doing that. Yeah. Wow. Wow. And I didn't know anything about the Japanese monks standing underneath a waterfall. It's like, holy cow, you are a wealth of knowledge. This is just fascinating, fascinating. And I could talk to you forever. Um, And hopefully you'll come back on the show and we'll do another kind of something here. And I do want to kind of be bringing this in for a landing, but before I do, and don't worry. So Jesse's book, the free gift that Jesse is giving away, his website, all of that will be in the show notes. So you don't have to worry if you didn't catch any of that information. All of that will be there. So drive your car, relax. It will all be there for you. But Jesse, I thought I heard you say that you had a near-death experience twice. Is that right? Yeah, from from drugs. Yep. So like almost overdosing. Yeah. Um, yeah. One of the first time was, was Oxycontin. And, uh, the second time was a combination of probably four things. Um, 
including, you know, hydrocodone, cocaine, marijuana, alcohol, ecstasy. And um, yeah, so twice. Yep. God, wow. So what happened in those events? Like were paramedics called or how, how did that all turn out? Well, I mean, obviously you're here. But. No, I mean, I was at bad, I was at really bad places at those times. So I didn't really care if I lived or died. It sounds, mm. you know, pretty harsh, but I didn't care. So yeah. I lived through them, but that's where I was at, you know, and luckily this, the second time, the second near death experience was the one that got me home from Florida. So yeah. thank God that second one happened because I hit, it wasn't my end of my using, but it certainly was enough of a scare for me to admit to my roommate and to one other person that there could be a problem. And they obviously knew that there was a problem and I was enough to make me come back to New Hampshire. Wow. Wow. It's amazing. The things like a near death experience that is, um, from drugs that ends up being one of the biggest blessings that gets you back. Um, and your father passing away that ends up being one of the biggest blessings that gets the pills sent to the wrong place. So um, intervention happens, although it's not the kind of intervention anybody would ever want to have the federal law after you does not sound like anything I ever want to experience. But wow, you just have, this is just an amazing story. And I met you in person and I can say you are the picture of health. I mean, you, you have this energy and zeal and zest for life about you. Um, you're just, you're a joy to be around and your energy was fantastic. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and I didn't know the depth of your story. So this has just been really fascinating for me. And I know that listeners got a, a great deal out of this. Is there anything that you would like to share with the listeners? Anybody who is maybe suffering um, from addiction or they know somebody who is suffering from addiction or anything, any, any final thoughts that you would like to leave the listeners that, that you would like to share? Um, yeah, I don't want to drop like, I don't want to open up another can of worms, but there is a, uh, I'll give you a quick acronym that is going to be helpful to, to some people that I've used. And it's really what's helped me for 13 years of my recovery is an acronym that it's fears. Fears is the acronym. And fears is always looking as a negative thing, but I love to tackle fears because that has helped me to thrive more than anything is, is getting out of my comfort zone. And so I came up with this acronym FEARS, and what it stands for is F is focus on your recovery. Every day, do one thing towards your recovery. You'll never lose your recovery if you're doing something every day towards it. So F is focus on your recovery. E is exercise your mind and body. Every day, exercise your mind and body. What does that mean? So exercise your mind is essentially read every day, listen to podcasts, listen to this podcast, you know. Do things that exercise your mind, practice visualization, even do, uh, do the affirmations, right? Do affirmations. Those are a game changer, even in my early recovery. And, exercise, and then get moving, you know, exercise your body, get moving, study, look at nutrition, drink more water. Um, and then A, I'm going to go through these really fast. A is appreciation. Appreciate your strengths. You are, a, you are a resilient person. If you have battled the things that you have battled to even get to this place, you are resilient appreciate those strengths, study what those strengths are, learn what they are, appreciate the people around you, appreciate people who have supported your journey and just be grateful. 
And then R is reflection. Reflect upon your day every day. Journal every night without exception. Journal the journey. You know, I started journaling at my first year of recovery. I have 13 years of journals now. Thank God a mentor told me to do that. So reflect on your day. Reflect on your goals. So that's reflection. And then S is self-care. Self-care more than anything else has helped me today to process things like my father and his passing away. So self-care, meditation, yoga, you know, silence. There's a new meditation practice coming up from Oprah and, and Chopra and, uh, you know, the 25-day, whatever it is, the 30-day free challenge. Like, do that challenge. It's coming up, I think, March 25th. Like, start to meditate, start to do self-care, radical self-care. So that's my acronym. Hopefully that's helpful. Oh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And that you still do that even today, these years later, you're still doing that. And journaling, 13 years of journals. I mean, my gosh, that's, that's amazing. Um, and life-changing, yeah. obviously. So, Absolutely. yeah. Yes, every day. <laughs> wow, wow. It's just, I am just kind of blown away by all of this, Jesse. And um, I can't thank you enough for taking the time out of your very busy schedule to be here with me and to be able to share this absolutely life-changing, life-altering information. And um, I just want to remind all of the listeners, again, Jesse's information will be in the show notes. So there will be no problem finding that. Jesse, I just, I can't thank you enough for your time and your wisdom and um, all the blessings in your life for being able to overcome that addiction and thrive and be able to be a, a light to others. So thank you so much for all of the work that you have done in the world. Uh, thank you, Nada. Yeah, thank you, Nada. It's been an honor to be here on your show today. Uh, I appreciate it very much, Jesse. So look forward to talking to you another day. I would love to do this again to everybody else. All the listeners, have a wonderful rest of your day, and we will catch you here again next week. Bye-bye. Thank you for spending time with us today. Please go to nadahogan.com for show notes and other information that you can use right away. If you like what you've heard here, please subscribe to the podcast. And don't forget to rate and review right there on iTunes, Stitcher, or however you get your podcasts. And don't forget to tell your friends about it. We'll see you next week.